Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Why on earth would Fox, quote, news, unquote, try to settle the Dominion lawsuit now? Why on earth? Would Fox, quote, news, unquote, wait until the scheduled eve of jury selection, so late even against that deadline, that the trial itself had to be postponed a day until today? Why on earth, after everything that has already come out, after we found out Tucker Carlson called Trump a demonic force and admitted I hate him passionately, and after we found out Rupert Murdoch called Trump's lies BS and damaging, and after Laura Ingram said Rudy Giuliani was acting like an insane person, and after every text and every email and every other quotation made it clear that whenever there was actually any truth or journalism about the 2020 election on its channel, Fox punished whoever said that truth or did that journalism. And after we learned that every time somebody on Fox defamed Dominion voting system, somebody else at Fox already knew it wasn't true. Why, after all that and not before all that, did Fox make the offer that delayed the trial until today? Because obviously there is something else that will come out at trial that is even worse. There has to be something else that Dominion found in discovery, some other quote 
from somebody at Fox so self-damning that it is worse than Carlson's hatred and Murdoch's confession and Ingram's insults put together and added to the cash value of the hundreds of millions of dollars Fox offered to make the thing go away at this late date. It must be remembered that the best lawyers in the world, and having myself been involved in a pretty big media lawsuit in which tens of millions were thrown around, not hundreds, I'm not sure these are the best lawyers in the world on either side. Even the best lawyers in the world, though, miss things. To say nothing of the best clients in the world, especially as the volume of material multiplies. It has been 10 years now since mediation resolved my little contretemps with Al Gore and current TV, and I think I can mention this now. In my deposition, the current lawyers asked about an email I had written that had at its subject line litigation strategy, and their lawyer wanted me to estimate how many other emails I might have written to my lawyers or my agents or anybody else that use that top line. Kind of a throwaway question. I said I had no idea. And I was being completely honest. I had no idea. Okay, we won't make you guess a number, but try to answer this as best you can. If you can't, just say so. Do you think it was at least 25 emails? And I said, yes, that sounded right. Could it have been 50 emails? I paused and I thought, yeah, it, it could have been, yes. Do you think it was 100 emails with the subject matter litigation strategy? This time I did not hesitate. I can't be certain in ruling it out, but I truly doubt it was 100 such emails. As I said that, out of the corner of my eye, I thought I saw my attorney who was sitting right next to me on my right and my agent who was sitting on her right move involuntarily, like they each flinched or had a change in their facial expressions. An hour or so later... We broke the deposition for lunch. My attorney and agent said nothing until we were out of the building. About the litigation strategy emails question, my attorney said, smiling, as my agent burst into laughter that he had clearly been holding in. Which you said there were less than 100 of? Uh, the correct answer is 665. You wrote 665 emails with the subject line litigation strategy. I guess we should have told you that. I shrugged. I said that all things considered, I thought my guess was surprisingly close because you don't remember what you email. At the deposition, I had to read much more serious emails aloud that I had no earthly memory of composing, let alone even thinking about. Some of them very short, some of them very long, some of them filled with spectacular swear words, some of them exculpatory, some of them damning, but I would say 10 out of 11 of them, emails that I did not remember. So I keep thinking from experience about the Fox and Dominion lawyers pouring through similar endless stacks of emails from virtually everybody of importance in the Fox company, 100, 200, 500 people, thousands of emails, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of emails and texts. I am guessing here, but I firmly believe that as Dominion began to release these tranches of damning Fox texts and emails, one or two or 30 Fox lawyers were assigned to go over every single document given to Dominion. And they found something else, something worse, something like the email equivalent of the atomic bomb 
only landing on Fox. And they all held their breath. And when the day before yesterday came around and the window in which Dominion could find a way to make that something public and Dominion did not make it public, that's when Fox offered to settle. I mean, when my lawyer said that I had written 665 emails with the topic line litigation strategy, I actually stopped and stared at her and I said, wait, I wrote 665 emails? And she laughed again and she said, dummy, we turned over 10,000 of your emails. There were no doubt other reasons and other more substantiated reasons for Fox's last minute push to buy this out. In a filing, Dominion had lowered its own estimate of its own company's value, and Fox told the judge that meant Dominion had to also lower its own estimate of how much it could have been damaged. Although Dominion is saying that is not true, it still wants 1.6, and of course the jury could award it more. But I'm sure somebody on the Fox legal team thought, ah, see, they're getting cold feet. What that is, is that's a signal they're ready to deal. Offer them $100 million. Dominion does not want just the money, of course. If Fox loses, Fox would have to issue an apology or an acknowledgement of some sort acceptable to Dominion. And for all we know, Rupert just signed off on more expansive language. There are also external business factors that are relevant to the trial. In the next few months, Fox has to renegotiate or begin to renegotiate three of its biggest carriage deals with Charter Cable, Cox Cable, and Xfinity. As you may remember, there are still 90 million cable subscribers in this country, but only 3 million of them or so watch Fox. The other 87 million of us are charged so that those 3 million troglodytes can grunt at the screen when they see Greg Gutfeld. Since nearly all mainstream advertisers abandoned Fox years ago, Fox is almost entirely dependent on the money it gets from the carriers to make any kind of profit, and it makes quite a profit. And Rupert Murdoch had been telling his investors and his board that he would be demanding and getting increases in the years 2023 and 2024 in the amount these cable carriers pay him to run Fox. Increases, he said, of about one-third Nobody is paying Rupert Murdoch a 33% premium for a network on the ropes. It is very possible that how much of a premium they might pay, or even if they'll still pay just what they're already paying now, may depend on Fox not being on trial in a story carried nonstop by every other channel on their cable box. So there could be an array of reasons Rupert Murdoch was willing to buy his way out of this mess at the last minute, might still be willing to buy his way out of it. Who knows? But to me, there has got to be a wild card. And the most damaging wild card imaginable is some kind of quote, some insult, some admission, some thing that would make Tucker Carlson's dismissal of Trump look like a Lindsey Graham love letter to the defendant. I mean, maybe there's something in there about Clarence Thomas. Like, I don't know, the billionaire Hitler stan he sold his mother's house to nine years ago is, I don't know, let Clarence's mom live there rent-free all this time. Oh, wait, that's not in the Fox docs. That's in the CNN story in which a source close to Thomas told them overnight Sunday 
that Thomas was going to amend his financial disclosure forms to correct his lie. I mean, omission. I mean, honest mistake. I mean, I was told there would be no math. Quoting CNN, as a part of the negotiated sale price, Williams, who was 85 at the time of the deal, was given an occupancy agreement to be able to live in the home for the rest of her life, the source said. She lives rent-free, but is responsible for paying the property taxes and insurance. So, Leola, Clarence Thomas's mom, rent-free forever. That's something else Clarence Thomas should have included in his financial disclosure forms, but did not. You may recall that when ProPublica broke the original story two weeks ago this Thursday, Clarence's lifelong friend, ever since they met a little while after Clarence went on to the Supreme Court, and he so loves Clarence that he gives him free vacations that would cost you half a million dollars. After the article came out, this friend denied nothing, confirmed the whole thing, and insisted it was all above board. But now, the Dallas Morning News got Harlan Crow to sit down for two hours and all of a sudden, quote, I think it's a political hit job. The media and this pro-publica group in particular, funded by leftists, has an agenda to destabilize the court. What they've done is not truthful. It lacks integrity, factually incorrect and being written with a strong political agenda. I have to set the record straight, said Harlan Crow. Of course, ProPublica told Crow everything it was going to report long before it reported any of it. It gave both Crow and Thomas written questions. It printed Crow's response in full. He said none of these things two weeks ago. In short, he was lying then or he's lying now. More relevantly, Mr. Crow, for a man who's had nearly two weeks to come up with something good, spun a pretty far-fetched sounding tale of his friendship with Clarence Thomas. They met 27 years ago, quoting the paper's account. Crow was in Washington, D.C. and talking with executives of the National Center for Policy Analysis. They told him that Thomas was doing a speaking engagement for them in Dallas, and Crow offered to fly Thomas to Texas since he and his private jet were headed home. I had never met him, Crow said. During that flight, we found out we were kind of simpatico. We're the same age. We grew up in the same era. We come from absolutely polar opposite life stories, but we had a lot in common. Oh, yeah? Like what, Harlan? What do you and Justice Thomas talk about? You know, I can't talk to Clarence without him asking all about the kids. What are they doing? Crow told the Dallas Morning News that Thomas supported the wrestling team that Crow's son was on in Texas. Friends do stuff like that, he said. Then came the real censure the true bond of their friendship. Quote, We have a dog named Otis that Clarence particularly likes. We talk about dogs a lot. Otis? Otis. My man? Otis? You've talked about Otis for 27 years? I mean, I love dogs. Question from the Dallas reporter Cheryl Hall. Would Crow be friends with Thomas if he weren't a Supreme Court justice? Now, obviously, you and I both know that the answer to this has to be, well, of course. I admire him. He's fantastic. Look what he's done with his life. Look at his accomplishments, his record as the second African-American Supreme Court justice. Look at all the great things he's done. He's funny. He likes the same cigars I do. We're from the same part of the area. Something like that. Crow's answer, 
It's an interesting, good question. I don't know how to answer that. Maybe not. Maybe yes. I don't know. You're not helping him, Harlan. Is their friendship a quid pro quo? Answer, every single relationship, a baby's relationship to his mom, has some kind of reciprocity. Harlan, how about Otis? Does Clarence's relationship with Otis the dog have reciprocity to it? Crow complained to the paper about being called a Republican megadonor. Quote, I don't know what megadonor means. I have been a donor to moderate Republican individuals running for office, as well as groups that are involved in that kind of world to support more moderate Republican stuff. I'm 73, so for probably 50 years I've been doing that. There are so many people in the country that I think are mega donors. Of course, he just said he didn't know what mega donor meant. I've given a fair amount of money away, but the amount of money I can give away to causes and individuals that are seeking office by comparison to what I think of as a mega donor is pretty small. I just don't know, but I would say it is in the low number of millions in the past five years. I'll just read that again. I would say it is in the low number of millions in the past five years. Harlan, is it 50 emails? 100? Did you know the correct answer was 665? Oh, and all the Nazi stuff at his house. It's just his own kind of Holocaust museum, he says. The Nazis attacked a ship his mom was on once. He's got some Lee Harvey Oswald memorabilia. That doesn't mean he likes Lee Harvey Oswald. Wait, what? He's got some Lee Harvey Oswald memorabilia, too? Does Otis know about this? Lastly, not a story of substance, just a neat little Freudian slip. This is the Florida Congressman Greg Stubbe on Newsmax last night revealing his presidential endorsement. Now, before we laugh too hard, you and I, in January, Congressman Stubbe fell 25 feet while trimming trees when the chainsaw cut through the branch and the branch fell and hit the ladder and, well, down goes Stubbe! Nevertheless. Yeah, and Rob, I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about this on your show, and I'm happy and honored to endorse Donald J. Trump uh, for president. Yeah, we both heard that, right? I'm happy and honored to endorse Donald J. Trump uh, for president. Yeah, we both heard that. Again, ladder, bzz, 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 branch, ladder. Ah, I've kind of done this. I dropped off a rock doing a commercial 20 feet or so. It was onto sand on top of rocks. So, yeah. Still, yeah, and Rob, I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about this on your show, and I'm happy and honored to endorse Donald J. Trump uh, for president. Don't tell Donald J. Trump about this. Trump don't want no help. Trump don't get no help. What it is, Big Mama, my mama didn't raise no dummy, I dug her rap. 
Still ahead on this edition of Countdown. That's from the movie Airplane. In case you missed it, go and watch it right now. Still ahead on this edition of Countdown, what would you do if you were running against Donald J. Trump for the presidential nomination and you wanted people to like you? Well, shut down Disney World, of course. Good work, Ron DeSantis. Worst persons, Republican politicians, A, solicit crotch pics from a 15-year-old, B, send out links to an anti-Semitic site on a government-issued congressional newsletter, and C, yearn for the days when they could lynch black people. I wish I were kidding. Those are the nominees for worst persons. And since we are talking about the Fox Dominion suit, I was there, literally, at the exact minute that the cable news world in this country went from cheesy but well-intentioned to all soap operas all the time, otherwise and political. What it was like amid the executives when they found out that Princess Diana had died. That's next. This is Countdown. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you run for office or take on the country's biggest problems, but they can help you solve one of the peskiest problems at home, pests. You know, the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, even the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know intricate political strategy, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and 
over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann, my crazy friend. Postscripts to the news, some updates, some insights, some snarks, some predictions, some stuff we couldn't get into the first section. Dateline, Lake Buena Vista, Florida. Hello. The short man in the high heels accidentally found himself back in his home state and took another huge L there yesterday. Ron DeSantis attacking Disney again because Disney responded to his previous attack about being pro-LGBTQ by using the legal processes the state gave Disney years ago. DeSantis has now threatened to send in inspectors to inspect everything at Disney World, which of course implies that if Disney caves to him, Florida will never inspect anything at Disney World. Have fun on those rides, kids! DeSantis also threatened to build a state prison next to the amusement park because nobody looks out for the children the way Republicans do. Disney's response this time? It promptly trolled the mini-governor by announcing its first... Disney World Pride Night during Pride Month in June. The public's response? Pretty much laughter. Two especially good lines. One from comedy writer Ben Rosen, quote, thinking of ways people will like me enough to vote for me for president. I'm going to shut down Disney World. And from Robert J. Ellingsworth, does this delusional hatred of Disney World have anything to do with DeSantis not being tall enough to go on the rides? Oh, Rhonda. Nancy Faust, Dateline Makeup City, Arizona, Carrie Lake, interviewed by Kimberly Guilfoyle. A visit by two TV characters who came to life somehow. Presumably they drew lots for who got the best TV filters. Also, Lake said, I just saw some polling today that shows that the only person who could beat me in the U.S. Senate seat in Arizona is Trump. Yeah, she just saw some polling. Like the saints saw apparitions of the Virgin Mary in the tree bark or whatever. And Dateline Long Island, Congressman George, if that is your real name, Santos, has declared he is running for re-election. His announcement extols his claim that he has introduced and co-sponsored more bills than any other New York freshman member of Congress, that he's been a fearless champion of conservative values, and that he is immortal and he can fly. Okay, I made those last two ones up, but I got you to think, huh? In the announcement of this self-deluded nut job who thinks he's gotten away with it, there is one genuine laugh line, and I did not make this up. The next to last sentence. George Santos is a lifelong New Yorker. Uh, except the four years in Brazil and the, and the one he spent in Orlando? No, Florida.
Still ahead on Countdown, since we're talking Fox and cable news and how we should metaphorically hit cable news with a stick and then set it on fire, let me take you back to the day it all went bad. At Fox, at MSNBC, at CNN. Unfortunately, that day was exactly one month before I began my first show at MSNBC, the day Princess Diana died coming up. First time for the Daily Roundup, the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze, Ari Alexander, the January 6th Stop the Steal dude, who has made himself look as much like Sammy Davis Jr. as possible. The Daily Beast reports... Ari Alexander has been credibly accused of asking for photos of the genitalia of a then 15-year-old boy. Alexander, real name Ali Akbar, issued an apology in an interview with the website, which quotes a screenshot of a text Ari Alexander sent to a now 21-year-old guy named Aiden Duncan, to whom in 2017 Alexander was offering an internship. Quote, you don't even send me videos anymore. No good jack-off material. Wait, Ari, Ari Alexander wanted videos of jack-offs? Like, like Junior and Eric Trump giving speeches? Oh, 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 I get what he means. More seriously, it was this Alexander clown who referred to the, quote, Lincoln pedo project a couple of years after he was trying to seduce a 15-year-old. The bronze, Dr. Paul Gozar, the insurrectionist congressman from Arizona, who's been having some kind of really excruciatingly slow neurological or psychological breakdown or both in public for years. It's not just that this, whatever it is, makes him hate everybody, but it makes him think that he represents a kind of unanimous desire by Americans to murder everybody. Gosar sends his constituents a newsletter transmitted by the official web server of the House of Representatives, and in the most recent April 16th edition, he included a link to an article from a site called Veterans Today. Veterans Today is actually an anti-Semitic site so vile that it manages to claim at the same time that it denies the Holocaust ever happened and then blames the Holocaust on, quote, the Jewish Zionists. Well, currently at the site is this article Paul Gosar has linked to, which shows a big picture of Paul Gosar, and then on top of it, this headline. Congressman, semicolon, Jewish warmongers Newland and Blinken, quote, are dangerous fools who can get us all killed, end quote. That's what Congressman Paul Gosar wants you to read about himself. This man needs a lobotomy. But our winners, the soon-to-be former administrators of McCurtain County, Oklahoma. McCurtain County, that's Broken Bow. And Batiste, which is spelled Battiest, by the way. You know, just west of Texarkana? Anywho, say goodbye to Sheriff Kevin Clardy, District Commissioner Mark Jennings, Investigator Alicia Manning, and Jail Administrator Larry Hendricks. Clardy joked about barbecuing a woman who had died in a fire. Jennings lamented that you could no longer take black people, quote, down to Mud Creek and hang them up with a damn rope. They got more rights than we got, unquote. Ms. Manning talked about murdering reporters from the newspaper McCurtain Gazette News. Unfortunately for them, this was all recorded and obtained by the McCurtain Gazette News. It's so bad that the Republican governor of Oklahoma, the Republican governor of Oklahoma, Stitt, has called for their resignations. 
McCurtain County's Sheriff Clardy, Commissioner Jennings, Investigator Manning, and Jail Administrator Larry Hendricks. Do you see what happens, Larry? Do you see what happens, Larry? And don't forget the official tourism site for the county is visitmccurtaincounty.com. Today's worst persons in the world! Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you run for office or take on the country's biggest problems, but they can help you solve one of the peskiest problems at home, pests. You know, the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, even the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know intricate political strategy, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it, Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Still ahead on Countdown, I was with the president of NBC News and the future president of MSNBC the moment that we all found out that Princess Diana had died in 1997. What happened that evening with those men is at the root of the Fox News Dominion lawsuit and the evil that cable news has become. Things I promise not to tell next. First, in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need. You can help. Every dog has its day. Elsa is a Chihuahua mix who is now on Staten Island, New York, rescued by Near and Far Animal Foundation there. They took her in when a cyclone threatened her home, and the humans left without her. 
She's lost her hair. She got a terrible skin infection while living on the streets after this nonsense happened. She'll need antibiotics and medicinal shampoos for a while, but they're trying to raise only about $500 more for her. That's it. No surgery, just TLC. If you can donate, you can find Elsa on cuddly.com or on my Twitter feeds. I thank you, and Elsa thanks you. Finally, to our number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me, and things I promise not to tell. The date on the death certificate was Sunday, August 31st, 1997. But because of the time difference, the news was known here very late on the night of Saturday, August 30th, 1997. It was the death of Diana, Princess of Wales. And please do not misunderstand me. I'm not equating anything that happened to me around that time with what happened to her or what happened to those who loved her or what happened to those who simply admired her from afar. But in retrospect... I can see that Saturday night as a demarcation point in the history of news in this country. Three nights earlier, I had watched them pack the last of my stuff into the van at my home in Southington, Connecticut, where I had lived for five and a half years while I did ESPN's Sports Center. Great show, much of it great fun, a great partner, great house, four bedrooms, 3,000 square feet, heated swimming pool, house vac system, $351,000. All that was great. Not really a great life. I was on my way to a new life at MSNBC. Thursday was a photo shoot for Esquire. They dressed me up like Austin Powers. I didn't get it then. I don't get it now. Then an interview with TV Guide, and then suddenly an invitation from my old friend and new boss, Phil Griffin, to come join him and his family for a long weekend in the Hamptons. I had never been there. It was not the kind of thing I did. It was Long Island. I was from Westchester. But they were willing to pay. And it was spectacular, even though my accommodations consisted of a converted garage, the bed and breakfast part of the home of a woman who had had her own show on Channel 2 in New York 43 years previously and whose walls were filled with mementos from it. I thought briefly and with a shudder, that's what my walls are going to look like in 2040 if I live that long. Well, it's not 2040 yet, and I haven't lived that long, but I'm happy to tell you there are dozens of photos and art covering my walls, and only one of them is a memento of an old TV show I did. But the point was and is taken. Anyway, a nice meal with the Griffins at their Hamptons full house rental on Friday, a warm day spent at a pristine beach on Saturday, pronounced good with kids by Phil's wife, and then we went across the bay to the Hamptons' home of Jeff Zucker, then the head of the Today Show and the de facto operational head of all of NBC News. We dined on his balcony overlooking the water, we watched the fireworks overlooking the water, and we were just having a nightcap on this vast lawn of his overlooking the water. My memory tells me the lawn was approximately the size of the field at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles, and there were huge lights hanging off the house, which seemed nearly as strong as the lights at Dodger Stadium. And then suddenly, everybody's phone rang. Summer ended in three seconds. There were still pagers in those days. Those went off, too. You could even hear phones ringing in the distance, creating something akin to a strange buzzing concert. My God, 
Zucker shouted. Princess Di is dead. Now he and Phil Griffin began to pace across that giant lawn. Another phone rang, and Zucker now had one pinned to each ear. Standing some distance away with Phil Griffin's wife, I noticed how quickly Griffin and Zucker synced up. They were walking towards each other, crossing each other's paths, then walking side by side, and then veering off in opposite directions as if there had been a choreographer somewhere. Phil's wife and I were equally disgusted, not so much at her husband and Zucker, but at the circumstances of Diana's death. 48 hours earlier, the interviewer from TV Guide had actually asked me what my first questions would be for my hypothetical guests, Nelson Mandela and Sean Penn. My abstract concepts of the news, my new career, were about news I watched or listened to, like uh, PBS or NPR or the all-news radio stations in New York or Washington when the atmospheric conditions were right in Bristol, Connecticut, and my favorite news-related show, British Prime Minister's Question Time. This was not what I heard Phil Griffin and Jeff Zucker arranging in the wake of Diana's death, throwing out large offers to self-announced royal experts and accident analysts and people who knew Dodi Fayed and even some of the photographers in the cars chasing Diana's into the tunnel when it crashed, offering them large sums of money to make themselves available exclusively to MSNBC for the duration and booking whole planes full of reservations to send everybody from the Today Show to the funeral. Now, look, I was 37 years old then. I already understood these were the necessary logistical moves of smart executives. Sad and terrible things happened, and people still had to go on and cover them. But there was something exceptionally callous and cold about the choreographed dance I was watching. As I said to Phil's wife, the tabloid media has been chasing celebrities for years, and tonight they finally got one. She nodded, but punched me in the shoulder and corrected me. We finally got one. You are part of we now. Well, that in turn made me think about quitting on the spot. My agent was on the West Coast. It was not that late there, and soon I joined Griffin and Zucker. Zucker was on his third different phone by then, pacing on that lovely lawn while telling my agent that maybe we should take the ABC boss, Bob Iger, up on his offer. He said if I ever wanted to go back to ESPN, I should just call. What do you think, I asked my agent. Too soon? The next week was all Diana, leading up to the funeral overnight Friday, anchored on NBC and MSNBC, I think, by Katie Couric, who actually told the audience that some random British woman was, in fact, the model Cindy Crawford. She wasn't Cindy Crawford. This passing, forgotten, trivial mistake seemed to me to be emblematic of what Diana's death had done in an instant to the business I was just getting into. Suddenly, the last few years of television news had clarified themselves and a timeline had emerged in my mind. I had gone to work for CNN at the start of its second year, 1981. Yes, we were already in color. We used to have a weather report, a sportscast, a business update, and a science and medicine story every hour. But by 1995, CNN and everybody else had learned... Just find one story and pound it into the ground 24-7 if you can and dress it up so that the viewer does not feel dirty for having watched it. That first story in 1995 was the O.J. Simpson trial, and while it was nominally a genuinely important story about a huge public figure, people forget that, 
a huge public figure, sportscaster, and actor murdering his wife. That's not what they covered at the O.J. Simpson trial. They were covering every salacious detail. They were covering literally every bloodstain. They were covering interracial marriage. They were pitting whites against blacks. They were sometimes, I saw it happen, making up bombshell stories. And all the people now running MSNBC, which I was joining in its second year, were those who had covered themselves in glory or covered themselves in something at the OJ trial. It is not coincidental that one media organization was discussed by the judge, Lance Ito, for doing a fair job of covering the O.J. Simpson trial. That organization was ESPN Sports Center. Anyway, television news has never been the same. There was some argument for 24-7 coverage of the Simpson trial because it was a daily thing. Diana was dead, and for a month it was treated as if it had happened an hour earlier. Cable news... By this point, CNN, CNN Headline, Fox, and MSNBC now began to look for 24-7 stories, or in their absence, to create them. The death of the Colorado little girl, John Benet Ramsey, every missing white woman in America, even the Clinton Lewinsky story. I often did two live shows a night about the Clinton Lewinsky story, even when there hadn't been any actual news in a week or 10 days. If something happened, if some tidbit was reported by the Washington Post when all the news sites updated for the only time all day at 11 p.m. Eastern, yes, that's how computers worked back then, we might stay on for two or three extra hours to discuss this one sentence in the revised Washington Post story again and again and again. We retrained TV audiences to fixate on one story at a time especially if that story involved somebody famous. That, in turn, magnified the celebrity element of all of American life. It explains, in part, everything that has happened since Diana died, from the Clinton story to the lionization of the generals after 9-11, through the rise of Barack Obama, and, of course, the election of Trump. I did not ultimately quit my new MSNBC show a month before it was to premiere. The next morning, I took a bus back to New York and vowed to, as I put it in my diary, do a show that would expose tabloidism and be upright at whatever cost to a tone that I should be involved, however distantly, in a business that could, in essence, kill three people, including the most beloved woman in the world. Nice thought. Didn't happen. We did the first show a month later, October 1st, 1997. Phil Griffin was the producer. Half the time was consumed by a roundtable of four celebrity journalists and gossips. When I tried to draw them out on the media's responsibility to the people in these stories, a voice talked to me through my earpiece. It was Phil Griffin, and he was shouting, Forget that! Ask them who killed John Benet Ramsey! I've done all the damage I can do here. Thank you for listening. Here are the credits. Most of the music was arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel. Brian and John are the Countdown Musical Directors. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray. Produced by TKO Brothers. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olderman theme from ESPN2. 
It appears courtesy of ESPN Inc. and was written by Mitch Warren Davis. Our musical comments come from Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. And our announcer today was Tony Kornheiser, my crazy friend. Everything else was pretty much my fault. So that's countdown for this, the 833rd day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Please don't forget, keep arresting him while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow. So until then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.